have you along for the ride. Thanks a lot for stopping by. Glad to have this man back. It's Joe Kent. He is running for Washington District 3 Republican. He's a candidate. Was last time we spoke as well. Joe, good to see you. How are you? Doing great. Thanks for having me back on. We're really glad to have you back on. Joe Kent for Congress.com. And again, uh, Joe Kent, F-O-R, Congress.com. Go and support his candidacy. Uh, Joe, what happened last time? Because I think going in, we felt really good about it. How close was the race? And what, what do you think happened? It was very close. Lost by less than a percentage point. Oh, wow. uh, last cycle, I ran against one of the uh, Trump impeachment voters. So I had a pretty hard fought primary. There was about five Republicans on the ballot. I had 14 million spent against me. Uh, so by the time I hobbled across the finish line and was the Republican nominee in August, we were fresh out of money. We asked the uh, the RNC and those types of organizations to come in and kind of bail us out. And they had bad polling. They said, hey, this is a Republican district. You're going to win by six points. So just go ahead and, and call it good. Um, we'll see it in November. And we basically knew that that was wrong because my negatives have been driven down a good deal. Um, the Democrats were smart. They sat back and they watched the Republican bloodletting happen for about a year and they consolidated around one candidate. And then they hit me of $6 million uh, spent against me uh, on, from election day until the general. Um, so unfortunately, we fell just a little bit short, less than a percentage point. So one was over. We just kicked the campaign back off again. We should have a much stronger turnout here in 2024 with the presidential cycle. We had about 60,000 Republicans who simply didn't cast a ballot. These are Republicans who voted for Trump in 16 and in 20. Uh, unfortunately, these are low propensity voters. They only vote once every four years. So with them coming back out, and then we've also got a major emphasis on ballot harvesting and ballot collection, which is completely legal in Washington state. We're, gonna be, we're launching that already. That's already in progress. So we're feeling much stronger going into uh, this this election season. It seems to be a likely story. And again, it's Joe Kent for Congress.com, where the RNC just makes a bad decision. It's like uh, you had Blake Masters had a chance. He didn't get the support he needed out in Arizona. You had a chance to get the support that you needed in Washington State. Will things change for the better, do you think, with Ronna Romney stepping down? because, Or Ronna McDaniel, I should say. Her middle name is Romney. Her maiden name is Romney. Uh, with her stepping down, will things get better in that you'll have a more direct line where maybe you say, I don't really care what your polling says. We're going to need some help here. Yeah, I think so. I, I think uh, this last cycle really showed that if the RNC doesn't support candidates uh, in, in races that are easily winnable, that we can lose them. Like this seat, I still believe this district is conservative. Um, we gave all of our information to the RNC. We said, look, it was a hard primary. The Democrats are licking their chops waiting to exploit this. And they simply just didn't listen. So I, I believe that they've learned their lesson. I've had really productive conversations with the NRCC and, and all those types of organizations. The big thing for us is Republican unity. We've had a lot of changes at the state and county level with leadership. And so right now I'm endorsed by the Washington State Republican Party. I'm endorsed by every single county in my district, the county GOPs. So we've got unity at the state level. And with that unity going forward, I don't think we're going to need a ton from the national level. Every little bit helps. And I've got a great uh I think a great team of grassroots supporters throughout the country that are that are supporting the campaign right now. How about Trump? Is he involved or not? Uh, President Trump endorsed me last cycle. Uh, I've been on uh, Don Jr.'s podcast and all that. So I know he's very focused right now on just getting through the primary. Um, but, yeah, obviously, I, I'm a big Trump supporter. So uh, I you know, will hopefully get his endorsement once again. Uh, Joe, what is your what is your history? If I recall right, uh, you're a military guy. I am, yeah. I spent a little bit over 20 years uh, in the military. Look, we've got a lot of stations in Washington. I want them to know who you are and why they need to get off their hands this time. 
Yeah, absolutely. So I spent a little bit over 20 years in the military, did 11 combat deployments. Uh, I was a Green Beret, spent some time in the intelligence community. My late wife was also in the military. She was killed fighting ISIS in Syria right after Trump gave that order to get our troops out. And that's when Mattis and the rest of really the, the administrative state, the deep state, whatever you want to call it, turned against President Trump. And that resulted in my wife and three other Americans getting killed. So after that, I resigned from government service. I came back here to the Northwest where I'm from and really just started trying to speak out and advocate for President Trump's pragmatic America. America first foreign policy, which now here we are four years later, I think that, that that foreign policy really sells itself when we look at how on fire you know the, the rest of the world is right now without that type of leadership. Yeah, thank you for, for re- reiterating that's very, very uh, a sad story, just a horrible thing that happened with your wife. And you see bad decisions being made by a lot of these people in the so-called war party. And Joe, there really is a war party. These people just want war at all times. We found out after World War II that there were people in our government that didn't really want to win wars anymore. They, eh, let's, let's do Korea. The military um, uh, industrial complex can make a bunch of money, help the economy. Let's do Vietnam. Let's do Afghanistan. Let's do Iraq. We don't know what the, what the end game is anymore. Should you make it to Congress? Can you help reassess and maybe reset the idea that if you go to war, you go to win? And then we know what winning looks like, and then you come back, and then you're done. Because we haven't literally won a war. We just sort of fight them now since World War II. That's exactly right, and I think a big part of this is Congress reasserting its constitutional authority. Our framers were geniuses. They didn't want one man in the White House to have the power to take us off the war. They gave that power to Congress, which is the people's closest represent representatives in the federal government. Unfortunately, you know, in our lifetime, since 9-11 especially, we've just had Congress signing off on the checks to send us to war, and we've let the executive branch, and really it's beyond the executive branch, it's the unelected bureaucrats in the national security blob, the deep state, whatever you want to call it, that keep these wars going. Because like you said, there's no real money in peace and stability. There's really no money either in doing quick, decisive military actions and pulling people out. There is a ton of money to be made in the constant funding of foreign adventures, whether it's war, whether it's what we're seeing in Ukraine, with this uh, desire to always have foreign aid packages getting sent, uh, sent out continuously. That's where the real money is made. And so we've got to reset that. And a big part of that is Congress saying, hey, President, if you want to go to war, you need to come here and formally ask us for a declaration of war. And you need to tell us exactly, articulate it for the American people, what the vital national security interest to the American people is, what our strategy is, and how long in duration and what actually success looks like, what winning actually looks like. That's all on Congress to do. And so Congress has really got to dig their feet in uh, and, and reassert a lot of these authorities and just follow the Constitution. It's uh, Joe Kent. He's running for Washington District 3. He's a candidate for a U.S. representative. Make sure that you go check out his candidacy at JoeKentForCongress.com. So much of what you just said is so exactly right. The problem is those who claim to be on your side are still voting for $60 billion more billion for Ukraine. Yep. You've got, what, 19 Republicans or something in the Senate who keep on saying yes to more money. And when I talked to Andy Biggs in the House from Arizona, he said it's more like $200 billion we've sent there so far. And, Joe, if you were to ask somebody who's in charge, anybody in the administration, hey, what does a win look like in Ukraine? They don't have an answer. They just keep on saying Ukraine's winning, which they're not. Russia's beating them actually rather easily. So what do we do with that when we know that people who allege they're on your side and my side doing the exact opposite of what we would do? 
You know, I, I think there's definitely a time for Republicans to be unified, but on something so key like war, we've got to really start holding these guys accountable and taking them to task. I primaried an incumbent last time, and we've really just got to start continuing to change the way that Republicans view war. For a very long time, we were the party of George Bush and Dick Cheney. But look, pattern recognition, if something doesn't work, you've got to change course. And I think this is why Donald Trump appealed to so many people back in 2015, back in 2016, because he came in as an outsider. And he said, okay, well, none of this has ever worked. Let's take a different path. None of it makes sense. On the facts, we, we can win these arguments because the neocons, the neolibs, they've, they've actually never been right. And so I do think we have to confront these ideologies head on. And then again, go right back to saying, hey, let's put our foot down. If you truly believe that we should be sending billions of dollars to Ukraine and we should be escalating this conflict, don't just sign off a blank check. Make your case before the American people. Go back to your district and explain to them what this truly cost. And I agree with Andy Biggs. I think we're closer to $200 billion that's gone over there so far. And really, if you look at what's happened in the last week or so, we've got the Secretary General of NATO and you know Emmanuel Macron in France basically committing NATO to getting involved with boots on the ground inside of Ukraine, adding Ukraine as a NATO member. We're the ones that are paying for all of this. We're the ones that would actually be committing combat forces to it. But the American people don't even get a vote on it. You've got Mitch McConnell and a lot of these other Republicans, unfortunately, the number one thing they want to do isn't secure our border, balance our budget. It's send billions of dollars over to Ukraine. And there's a financial incentive. They're getting money for all of this. But I think it's incumbent upon us with a more pragmatic view to call these people out and just say, hey, we're not going to do this anymore. This is not the new Republican Party. Maybe the Democrats want to go down that road. That's on them. But the new Republican Party is pragmatic and we put our country first. Candidate for the House of Representatives, Washington 03. It is uh, Joe Kent. Go to JoeKentForCongress.com. JoeKent, F-O-R-Congress.com. As a former military guy, if you had, if you had the fix-it button, how do we fix this Ukraine issue? If, if Putin's telling the truth, and, and look, I don't trust Putin as far as I can throw him, but nobody said that he was wrong about this. They walked away from the Minsk agreements, which would have stopped the, the initial invasion. Then they walked away from, from Istanbul about a year and a half ago, which would have stopped the killing in Ukraine. It sounds like they're not willing to sit down and do peace. So what do you do if you had control of this? First and foremost, we've got to get both sides of the negotiating table. The last thing that we can do in terms of our own economy, like, look, we're 30, over $34 trillion in debt right now. We simply can't afford to send whatever it is, $48 billion, $60 billion to Ukraine. We, we just can't do it. So I think we've got to say to the Ukrainians, look, guys, we can't do this anymore. And the Ukrainians are rightfully going to be enraged of us because we led them down this path. But we've got to say, hey, you got to be realistic. You need to get to the negotiating table. And then I think we need to make it very, very clear to Putin that, hey, look, Ukraine will not become part of NATO. We've got to make those assurances to him because basically since the fall of the Soviet Union, we promised that we would not push NATO up onto the border of Russia. And regardless of who's in charge in Russia, if we expand NATO right up onto their border, they are going to see that as a provocation, just like we would see you know, a alliance of the Russians and the Chinese and the BRICS nations building military bases on the, you know, the Mexico-American border or the Canadian-American border. Right. It's pretty obvious why they would see that as being very provocative. So I think that's the assurance that we need to make to Putin is like, look, 
you and uh, Zelensky got to work out where the borders are. That that's a inner Slavic uh, thing to work out. That's not right. anything that we need to be deeply involved in. But hey, we won't push NATO anymore, um, and we have no desire to continue to escalate this. And then with Zelensky, I think we can very easily say, look, we're the ones that are signing the checks here. Uh, you're going to be at the negotiating table if you want any hope of ever getting any support from us or the EU ever again. Well, I think that's great advice, and I think that's the right way to look at it. Here's the problem: Zelensky was going to negotiate. And it sounds like Boris Johnson or Joe Biden said don't. So it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But I'm glad. I, I love your perspective. I hope you should uh, you should get into Congress and, and use that to help out the American people. Uh, Joe, does Washington State feel the impact of the open, broken Biden's border here on the southern border? I'm in Texas. You're in Washington. You're a border state, too. But I'm guessing the northern border isn't your problem or isn't the issue that you're worried about. Do you feel the adverse effects in Washington State from the southern border? We most certainly do. So really, no matter where I go in my district, my district's geographically very large, whether I'm in one of our larger cities like Vancouver or I'm in one of the rural communities, someone will come up to me and tell me how the opioid crisis, how the fentanyl crisis has personally affected them, how they've lost a loved one from the fentanyl crisis. We've also had a massive influx of illegal immigrants that's brought in with them a massive wave of crime. Essentially, we're a border state because the entire West Coast is a is sanctuary states, basically from California all the way up to Washington. And so the narcotics flow coming really from the San Diego area right up into Washington state, it has been uninhibited. I, I talk with the DEA task force that's here that works the I-5 corridor between Portland and Seattle, and they point directly at the fentanyl that moves right across the border. They've seen a massive spike since Joe Biden opened up the border. So we're very much on the front lines of this. Unfortunately, because we have a governor like Jay Inslee, he's tied our police officers' hands behind their backs of so the uptick in crime as well is just absolutely massive and the drain on resources that illegal immigrants are causing on law-abiding tax citizen uh, tax-paying american citizens it, it's, it's absolutely critical the woman that i'm running against the democrat she said that no one loses sleep at night over the wide open southern border she's changed her tune and she's trying to sign off on this new bipartisan border bill that basically allocates no money whatsoever for the border and it also leaves open the asylum loophole that the uh, the killer who killed that young girl uh, in Georgia exploited right. to get into the country. So really it, it, the Democrats and the way that they've opened the border up and the way that they've created all these sanctuary cities and sanctuary states that is really being brought into people's front yards and right on their front doorstep. So that's the number one issue right now is just the, the byproduct of the wide open southern border and how much fentanyl has affected our district. Well, I couldn't agree more. There's really no reason to have a new border bill or new immigration bill. The immigration laws work if you use them right. Donald Trump did them for four years, and it worked, and then Biden came in, and he changed it through executive orders. 94 executive actions to change the policies of the border that broke the border, and now they want to throw more money at it. And Joe, they're not even saying what they would do with the money. Well, we want more Border Patrol agents. But then what they're not saying is to process people. And they also, in the original legislation, said... Basically, you can stay here if you got here illegally. You can stay here, work on citizenship, permanent uh, residency, and then they become Democrat voters. Are you with me that this is what the Democrats want? They want more voters in the future. That's why they don't care how many little girls die or get raped on the way. They don't care how much fentanyl comes in and kills Americans. What they care about is holding their, their power for the next hundred years. 
I, I agree 100 percent. And my opponent has said that I'm like a conspiracy theorist. And my, my challenge back to her or any Democrat is then, OK, explain to me why you opened up the border. This isn't because, you know, you're just humanitarians and you want to bring more and more, more and more people in. This is a cold blooded power play by the Democrats. This is the reason why there's the CBP one app. That's why there's a network of NGOs that are funded by U.S. taxpayer dollars via USAID and the U.N. that are pumping the illegal immigrants into the country from South America. And then once they get across the border, they're immediately transported to major urban hubs. This is being done so the next time there's a census, and during a census you count you count heads, you don't check citizenship. Right. The Democrats will basically be able to create new state and federal legislative districts. This is just a cold-blooded power play. And then from there, in states like Washington, they're gonna use mail-out voting to ballot harvest to get the candidates that they want across the finish line. So like you said, it is a cold-blooded power play. They don't care how many little girls get killed and raped along the way. They don't care that 118,000 American citizens have been killed by fentanyl. This is 110% about the Democrats getting more political power. And they basically are done trying to convince the American people of their policies. Like nothing that they're doing right now is attempting to convince the American people. They're simply trying to bring more people in and control how we vote and then who counts the votes essentially. So, <clears throat> excuse me, the Democrats have taken a very diabolical turn. What, what is the main city <laughs> in your district? Uh, the main city is Vancouver, just right on the other side of the Columbia River from Portland, Oregon. Okay, so uh, those of you who live in District 3 in Washington, go in and check out Joe Kent, JoeKentForCongress.com. It was unbelievably close last time. we got to get you over the top this time. We need you in Congress, my man. I appreciate you coming on, Joe. Let's do it again before the election, okay? Absolutely. Thank you so much. All right, brother. We appreciate you. JoeKentForCongress.com, and we're back after this. Stay right here. This is the Joe Pag Show. Consider a vote for Joe Kent. The guy just about got it last time, should have gotten it this time. We don't have a ton of time in this hour, but I do want to give you this. Uh, Polo just told me about during the break. And uh, it appears as though some idiot judge uh, in Illinois has removed Donald Trump from the state ballot, citing insurrectionist ban, which, of course, is completely and absolutely, utterly bogus. There is no insurrectionist ban for Donald Trump because he hasn't been charged with nor convicted of insurrection. There has been no no congressional move to say he committed insurrection. It just doesn't apply here. Yeah, they're going to keep on trying this as long as they can. The headline is Illinois judge removes Trump from state ballot citing insurrectionist ban. Illinois is now the third state where Trump was booted from the ballot after Colorado and Maine. But, of course, this is going to be heard in the Supreme Court. Period. End of story. This is a stupid move. And everybody wants to say, well, this is a former RNC judge, former Republican GOP judge says he's an insurrectionist. It doesn't matter who says it. Insurrection has a definition. He has not been charged with nor convicted of insurrection. Plus, the Congress would have to pass legislation saying he's not eligible to run. The Supreme Court needs to throw this out now. Enough is enough. Should be nine to nothing. This is just another move by the Democrats to try to muddy the waters and make you think Donald Trump should not be the next president. I've never seen it like this in my life, ever. 888-941-PAGS, JoePags.com. Stay here. This is the Joe Pags Show.